And welcome to Around the Outside, the podcast for the Formula 1 fanatic with me, Jake Peach, and Chris Moss. But for this week, it's just myself, Jake Peach, because Chris is off work at the moment and enjoying the time away uh, from the podcast as well. So he'll be back with us next week whilst he takes a break and and gets a well-deserved rest. So you're stuck with me today. I hope you don't mind. Thank you for stopping by and listening to the podcast. Don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a new episode. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Around the Outside Podcast on Facebook. You'll find us there. Or if you're on Instagram, we're at Podcast underscore on there. Uh, a big thank you firstly to everyone that's listened to our special guest episode last week with Ferrari engineer Ryan Greenslade. Loads of you love listening to his career as a designer behind all the carbon fibre parts across many teams along the grid that, that he's made for them. And uh, it's turned out to be one of our most popular episodes. So thank you so much to everyone who checked that episode out and gave it a listen. You can listen back to all our episodes that we've released since we began at the start of the season. Listen to them anytime you like on your favourite podcast platform. But in this episode, we'll look ahead to the return of the US Grand Prix in Austin, Texas at the Circuit of the Americas after two years away. Round up all the latest news and gossip from across the paddock, but let's start by rounding up something of a strange race in Turkey last time out. A bit more of a quickfire episode for today's Around the Outside, um, probably because we're not going to have Chris waffling on or uh, making fun of my predictions. You know what I mean if you listen to this podcast regularly. Um, just myself, JP Cheer on around the outside. Let's go back through Turkey last time out. And Bottas converted an inherited pole into a controlled and impressive win, putting his woes from the previous year behind him. Lewis Hamilton got pole position, but because of a engine penalty that he took, sent him 10 places back on the grid. Uh, Bottas the previous year, if you remember, in Turkey, what a disastrous race. I mean, the, the track was well, very slippery, had no grip at all. And it couldn't have been any different this year. They'd resurfaced the track going off of the previous year and how difficult a race it was. And the track had so much grip. We were saying in the preview last week here on the round the outside that the track was something like five seconds quicker a lap, which just it's just unheard of uh, in the same sort of era of car. That's, you know, going like going back to the previous generation of Formula One or two formulas even to get back to where to, to those kind of times and, and going that slow uh, around Istanbul Park. But yeah, Hamilton took a 10 place grid penalty in the latest game of power unit chess, making his way from 11th on the grid to finish a pretty impressive fifth on the outside if you're not a Lewis Hamilton fan. Although if you are and you were Lewis Hamilton, he wasn't happy and you might not have been happy with the pitch strategy call that his Mercedes team made. At one point, he was ahead of Sergio Perez and thought he could hold on to third place. But the team wanted to safeguard his fifth place because there was some real kind of confusion and unknowns around the track surface and the quality of it in Turkey and of course we had a very similar race where the drivers were on intermediate tyres for the whole race but it wasn't raining loads but it wasn't dry so they were stuck in that real difficult transition phase going between the two tyres but not quite 
good enough for slick tyres as we found out with Sebastian Vettel when he pitted uh, sort of halfway through the race to see if if dry tyres would work on the medium tyre. It did not and he had to pit straight away again and that was Vettel's race pretty much well and done. But Hamilton thought he could have held on to it but there were some safety concerns around the intermediate tyre lasting the whole race and the only person to do that on the grid was Esteban Ocon in his Alpine. However, many of you probably have seen pictures on social media in the moments past the race in, in the last week or so and the massive flat spot on Esteban Ocon's tyre. Um, Mario Isola from Pirelli was questioned after the race, I think it was on Sky or one of the TV channels, whether the tyre could go the whole race distance. Obviously, Esteban Ocon tried, but maybe other cars that... A slightly faster, puts more energy into the tyres and through the car. Could the tyres have coped? And uh, Mariazola was, uh, well, he, he he was on the side of caution. Said that they, you know, they were, Hamilton was right to pit with his situation. However, you know, Esteban Ocon, as I said, pulled it off, so it must have been able to happen. But whether do you think it was the right decision to pit Hamilton or not? I'm I'm a bit undecided at the moment. Um, but it's hard to say, isn't it? Hindsight is a wonderful thing. Um, his tie could have blown and he could have not had that fifth place and those valuable points, which we could be looking back on at the end of the season and saying that Mercedes are geniuses. So swings and roundabouts, I guess. Uh, Verstappen and Perez rounded off the top three uh, with an impressive showing from the Milton Keynes team. Valuable points for the Constructors title for them. They didn't seem to have the outright pace that we may have seen earlier in the season at races like Zandvoort and Austria, where Verstappen's been pretty much dominating but it's you know again it's so close between Hamilton and Verstappen for that world championship only six points separating them as we go into this weekend's race at the Circuit of the Americas which we'll come on to in a little while's time here on Round the Outside and Perez and Hamilton it's a great racing uh, in in the Grand Prix we had that moment didn't we down into the penultimate turn where Hamilton pushed him wide into the pit lane and Perez then came back and fought him hard right to the edge of the track and was just given absolutely nothing. Uh, Perez now, we've been saying, you know, with that second driver at Red Bull, really struggling to get up alongside Verstappen. But Perez really seems to have finally figured out the Red Bull, how it works for him best and bringing the best performance out of it. And that's all that Red Bull can ask for, I guess. I mean, Perez as a driver, maybe not quite equal to Verstappen at the moment, but very, very much up there and supporting his teammate, uh, which in the earlier races wasn't happening and Red Bull were very worried again that that second seat curse was striking again for the team. And um, a, a, an honourable mention to Ferrari, of course, because there's an impressive display from Leclerc and Sainz for them, who have been really rewarded in their hard work for the development race throughout the season. We had, of course, the um, Ferrari engineer Ryan Greenslade on the uh, podcast last week where we were talking about the team's recent rise and coming over that really difficult spell um, in 2018-2019 with the engine clarifications and how the team have been working back to kind of redesign the car. It was a really interesting insight into uh, the Ferrari team and, and things they've been going through and, and how they sort of overcome them. If you want to listen back to that episode, uh, you can do so uh, at any time. Uh, it's it's called What's It Like to Be an F1 Design Engineer? And you can find that um, just searching on our Around the Outside podcast page. But uh, yeah, seeing some insight into Ferrari and just really converting 
well, as best they can really at the moment. It's a real close battle between McLaren and Ferrari, two legendary teams that are coming back up the grid and trying to claim that top spot. Of course, McLaren already had a victory this season uh, at, uh, at Monza, of course, with Daniel Ricciardo. So both teams very close. McLaren arguably slightly ahead, but McLaren maybe a little bit more track dependent at times. So who knows? where we're going with that in the rest of the season. It's going to be very closely fought. And um, between the two Ferrari drivers, only half a point separates them after Turkey, which is just incredible. So um, they're evenly matched uh, as well as the two teams fighting it out at sort of the best of the rest, if you like, that we've, the phrase we've been come to to say in the, in the last few years during this hybrid era, that was pretty much it. What happened with the Turkish Grand Prix, uh, Astaban, Ocon, Honourable mentions him, first driver and in, I think, sort of 20 or so years to finish a race without a pit stop. Because, of course, being on the intermediate tyre, the drivers did not need to stop if they didn't want to. And Esteban Ocon managed to make it work somehow, um, sort of rounding up the, the last points. But, uh, yeah, honourable mention to him. I don't know how he did that. And uh, I don't think he'll be trying it again if, if he can help it. All right, let's move on to the latest news now in the world of Formula 1 in the last week or so. Right, just talking about McLaren there previously with their close battle with Ferrari this season. Well, they've been voted as the favourite team in the global fan survey by F1 and Max Verstappen voted as favourite driver on the grid. And firstly on McLaren, I mean, you know, they ha- they're a team that have some really passionate fans um, and we know all too well on this podcast with our former guest, Sarah Merritt, our first ever guest on this podcast, Sarah Merritt, who is a McLaren Formula One super fan. And she's been telling us, you know, how that team, particularly amongst others that she has seen on the grid, treats their fans the best. And it looks like that that's the case. And I think, you know, with the popularity of Daniel Ricciardo and Lando Norris, they're them two very charismatic drivers always got a lot to say um, very personable and you you feel like you know them uh, just when you're watching their interviews and, and everything like that and Lando Norris really kind of appealing to the younger audience as well it's no wonder that McLaren are up there as a favorite team and kind of really making strides back through through the grid in the last couple of years and maybe that's got a factor to play in it as well um, you know People that have followed McLaren for for a long time, of course, since the Senna days, through to Mika Hakkinen, and then through to Lewis Hamilton, of course, Alonso, and all of those times, it's then that fall really difficult that you know that they had with the Honda power units. It's probably really nice to see that McLaren are have just worked really hard to get back where they were because they were at a low point, as we've said many times on this podcast, um, but now sort of really coming out from a really dark place and not moaning about it, just getting on with it and and letting the action do the talking on the track, basically. So it's nice to see that. And Max Verstappen voted as favourite driver. Um, a lot of people might look at that and and question it as to, as, as to what it would be quite close with, with others. But I think from I can understand it totally because I remember when Max Verstappen came onto the F1 grid, there, can you remember, if you think back, to that buzz 
when he did that first practice session at Suzuka for Toro Rosso in the sister Red Bull team. I, I don't remember since the time I've been watching F1 there being such a hype and atmosphere around a new driver coming onto the grid. Of course, Jos Verstappen's son. We knew that Max was something of protege from coming up through the supporter series and, and formulas, but he has just totally blown the field away and everyone's kind of just taken notice from him. You know, some of the moves he pulled off in the, in those first races, um, the, in the Toro Rosso, if you remember that pass he did around the outside, um, sorry to mention the podcast name, you know, that's why we called it that. Um, but the move he did around the outside at Spa, Frankenstein, if you can remember, just into the bus stop chicane, right on the limit. I think it was round a salve of, of Marcus Ericsson, an incredible overtake. And people just sort of stood up and looked at that and thought, wow, who is this guy? And some of his moves in the in the Chinese Grand Prix that time as well. Um, he was just going through the field. Unfortunately, sadly, a little bit too much, I believe, in, in some of those years because he spun Vettel round and uh, got a bit of a reputation for being a bit of a kamikaze driver. However, Max has reined it in and this year has really matured in his driving style, his ability, and it's now coming good. It's now coming through and he's well in the running to be world champion this year. So I think all of the atmosphere coupled with when he came onto the scene, his impressive display and ability and just his impeccable driving skill that I don't think can be questioned at all I think has kind of landed him as his favourite driver and who can forget that pass on Rosberg around the outside in Brazil in the wet incredible overtake things like that moments like that I think it's very much given him the deserved coveted title of favourite driver in the global fan survey something he didn't ask for but I'm sure he'll take uh, let's move on now to the next piece of news and uh, Fernando Alonso has been saying he believes DRS should be here to stay and that F1 will always need it. Now, if you're new to F1, you're listening to this for for the first time, you've come across it and trying to get to know the sport a bit better. DRS stands for Drag Reduction System. It is the little carbon fibre flap in the rear wing that basically opens a slot in the rear wing that otherwise wouldn't be there and reduces drag on the car, which means it will then travel faster in a straight line. DRS zones always on the straights, mainly uh, across most tracks and giving you an extra 12 kilometers an hour, depending on what track you're, you're at and how the car is set up um, for, for that particular race. But DRS obviously was brought in in sort of the early... 2010s to promote overtaking uh, as as a as a facility to do that because it was basically just try, there to try and spice up the the racing really and um, just throw something else into the mix. Of course, Formula One have done many of those different moves to try and mix up the racing and and make it more exciting for for the people watching it and it, for it to be entertaining. Of course, but Alonso believes that it should be here to stay and kind of goes against the the view of the, the purist, you know, that just believes in racing as it should be, wheel to wheel, and for the cars just as they are, and shouldn't need any sort of overtaking aids to try and get around that. But I have to agree, it does spice up racing, and I think it has been... I think it's been positive for the sport more than negative. However, of course, there have been some races where there are these things called DRS trains, essentially where... There's a group of drivers and everyone has DRS 
and they just keep swapping back and forward and no one actually goes anywhere because um, to get DRS you have to be within one second of uh, the car ahead and of course if you're in sort of a really close gaggle of cars you're all just going to keep trading places and you're all just going to keep getting DRS and then no one goes anywhere and you end up just battling together and then you lose the other drivers in front and of course then just kind of segregates a certain group of drivers from the race. But Alonso believes DRS should stay. It's been exciting and has provided some interesting racing over the years. It's been in F1. And of course, in the hybrid era where it's been closer to follow cars because of the turbulence that comes off the back of these current formula of F1 cars, many could argue that it, it is needed. Um, however, as I said, it's more powerful at some tracks than others. What do you think? Uh, we're going to be posting about, obviously, it's this episode on our social media at ATO Podcast underscore and uh, around the outside podcast on Facebook. Let us know in the comments. Should DRS stay? Should it go? Are you a fan of it? Are you not? Are you one of those purists that just believes in racing as it should be for the car alone? Or do you think that DRS is fun? And it does mix things up and it makes it more exciting. Let us know. I'd love to know. Uh, moving on to our next piece of news now in the world of F1 in the last week or so. 1972 and 74 world champion Emerson Fittipaldi has been the latest person to criticise the proposed 23 race calendar for next year's season in 2022, saying he doesn't know how the drivers will cope, let alone the mechanics. I mean, Franz Toast of Alpha Tauri has already been kind of going against the idea of such an extensive calendar, saying some of his team members are getting quite tired. We've had some rumours of teams almost having like a, a rotating staff group, if you like, or a rotating labour supply because some mechanics and, and of course are just so burnt out from the ridiculous schedule. And, and of course the drivers having to travel a lot. So you know, um, we've had this ambitious calendar this year, of course, because of COVID and we're coming back and trying to get Formula One, the sport back out there in the world where it shut down for so long um, after that, you know, very embarrassing moment in Australia where everyone turned up for the race and then coronavirus put a stop to that and we weren't racing for ages. But essentially, 23 races is also to get the sport more across the world that's been a big push in a new direction of f1 to try and get it into new countries new audiences that have been otherwise forgotten so you could argue that it's needed but also will the drivers and the teams be able to cope let's see about that but uh, emerson fittipaldi the latest person to criticize that move Talking of former world champions, the rumours swirling around that second and final seat on the grid for 2022 continue amid speculation that Sauber, who obviously owned the Alfa Romeo team, could be taken over by the 1978 world champion Mario Andretti with his son Michael involved. It turns out also that Valtteri Bottas had no idea of these proposals before being signed to the team for 2022 on that long-term deal. Whether that would change his mind about it or not, uh, it's, you know, it remains to be seen. But I guess if he had the deal with Sauber and those people and, and talking to them and then for these new owners to come along within literally a few months before he's started the 2022 season, it could possibly affect relationships. I'm not saying in a bad way, but, you know, there's that continuity there for him and then it won't be because the the owners will be gone and and the Andretti family will be the new owners um what do you think about that as well I mean of course it's America at, uh, at the moment very timely uh, in the US when we're at the circuit the Americas in in Austin Texas 
But as we're saying to Chris on the podcast last week, we've had more of a move from uh, America into F1 and America's very much kind of left itself to IndyCar and, uh, of course, NASCAR and other formulas in 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 you know, sort of previous years. We've had races in Indianapolis and we've been in Detroit before and other, and other cities like that, but went away from the US a little bit. And then, of course, Austin, Texas kind of brought it all back, brought the attention all back to the States. And, well, arguably, that's where the biggest audience is for Formula One um, to go and host races and um, probably most some of the most exciting um, places to go in the world as well and so many different places of course Miami's on the calendar next year so there's this big kind of move towards the US in Formula 1 and trying to inherit some of the country back into the sport would you welcome another American owned team into it because the Andretti family also looking at Haas if this Alfa Romeo deal reported to be worth about $300 million uh, if it doesn't come off They'll be looking at Haas as well. And Gunter Steiner saying that there has been talks with the Andretti family. So very interesting uh, to see sort of the American involvement in F1 and the interest now. And with that second seat and speculation around that, Colton Hurt, who of course races in IndyCar at the moment and is a very promising driver and very well respected and tipped for future success, um, a different kind of path for drivers that we might have seen in previous years, but could be happening. Although we've mentioned so many rumours uh, about that Alfa Romeo seat uh, in the, the previous month or so, we've had a uh, Guan Yu Zhou who could be the first Chinese driver on the grid, um, and we've also mentioned Oscar Piastri as well, a really exciting young talent, young talent in Formula Two. So. Who knows what's going to happen with that? I'm sure the rumours will continue to swell. Maybe they'll want to try and get it wrapped up by the end of the US Grand Prix uh, to sort of capitalise on all the hustle and bustle around the Grand Prix, if you like. Um, Up an ultimate bit of news now. Williams have signed, staying on the American theme again, uh, Logan Sargent to their F1 Academy, uh, being quite timely of all the attention around the Grand Prix at the moment once again. And uh, Logan Sargent finished third in F3 or Formula 3 last season and has only picked up one win this season in Sochi. He couldn't move to Formula 2, make that step up, that graduation to Formula 2 last season because are basically just funds. We know that, you know, talent only goes so far in this sport. You need the backing to get you through the sponsorship, to get you into a seat and um, provide funding to the team that you're that you're going to sort of come come along with because the formulas get more and more expensive as we know as, as we go up through the ranks and the drivers need to play a big part in that. So this move by Williams and Logan's move to Williams and their F1 Academy it can only be a good thing for his F1 prospects. Possibly then uh, uh, could see him more in practice sessions next year. Uh, and Logan Sargent adding to another American on the grid, possibly, which we haven't had for a while. Uh, and uh, along with all this American attention could be a great thing for the sport and seeing more of that coming around. Uh, our finally bit, bit of news now is that Alex Albon, I think this is the strangest thing I've heard this week, Alex Albon has been helping Yuki Sonoda with some driver coaching. Now, I don't know if that feels a bit odd because Yuki Sonoda's probably thinking, well, I've been in the sport most recently. Alex Albon, you've been somewhere else, mate, been in DTM and haven't been racing a car. You got kicked out of Red Bull uh, by Sergio Perez and um, 
you know, even though there was a close relationship with Albon um, at the or sort of the end of that, when Red Bull broke their ties, he's now helping Yuki Tsunoda. So it must be a very weird dynamic, although it seemed to have worked because this driver coaching was happening, uh, starting sort of over the Turkish Grand Prix weekend. And Yuki Tsunoda got through to Q3 for the first time in his Alpha Tauri. And uh, he has done the same in the US Grand Prix, uh, which I'll come on to in a moment for this this weekend. So it must be working. Whatever Alex is saying is um, is doing the trick, I guess. Yuki Tsunoda, we know, is a very young, promising talent. Me and Chris were raving about him in testing at Bahrain at the beginning of the season. And uh, it's just kind of navigating his way, discovering how he kind of fits into the grid and kind of fits into the AlphaTauri car and him as a driver as well. And just kind of moulding around the sport. It's it's daunting, of course, as a new driver coming into into Formula 1. There's a lot to take in and um, a lot to kind of improve on all the time and just constantly evolve uh, into a more complete and comfortable driver, which we've seen many a driver do uh, in this season. Lando Norris, Max Verstappen, and hopefully Yuki Snowden can do that by the end uh, as well. All right, that's all the news for Formula 1 and all of I've caught up on this week. Let's finally move on and conclude and look ahead to this week's Austin Grand Prix at the Circuit of the Americas. Well, after two years away from the Circuit of the Americas, we are back in Austin, Texas. However, to some real concerns about the track surface, um, myself and Chris were mentioning... Uh, in the last episode, looking ahead to this race, that in MotoGP there have been some real concerns raised about the track surface, incredibly bumpy, and um, I'm going about to mention qualifying and the result. So if you haven't watched qualifying for the US Grand Prix yet in 2021, please switch off now. Okay, that should have been enough time, because uh, in the in the qualifying talking about that bumpy surface, we were watching qualifying, me and Chris, and what we noticed was just how incredibly bumpy the lap in Q1 was from Valtteri Bottas. I mean, the car, I don't know what it was about the car, but it was incredibly bumpy and and costing him a lot of time going through that first sector, through the the very fast S sections, uh, through into sector two. It's, It's just made the car so unstable. It's been thrown right about, really having to wrestle the car. And I don't know if that's just a Mercedes trait this weekend, um, but it seems to seems to be a, a, a real concern as well for a lot of teams in terms of reliability, how it could affect the car's performance, running long throughout the race. So we really don't know how that's going to play out. But in qualifying, it was Max Verstappen who came out on top by two tenths to Lewis Hamilton. And then we had... Uh, Sergio Perez, an impressive performance by him uh, this weekend. His team principal, Christian Horner, wondering what he's been having for breakfast because he's been really performing and putting it uh, where it needs to be for the team right up there, giving Max Verstappen that fighting chance as a rear gunner for the World Championship. And Sergio Perez, in the first run in Q3, he was on it. He was he was on pole. Um, but then Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton, of course, fought it out. Um, couldn't quite clinch pole, Lewis. Uh, Max just had the edge, and I think the going back to the bumpiness with the with Valtteri Bottas and that Mercedes car. What I noticed comparing the lap, the pole lap from Verstappen, and thinking about that bumpy lap for Bottas in Q1, is that the Red Bull just seemed to be able to absorb those bumps a lot easier and really kind of 
well, soak it up and not sort of affect the performance of the of the ride going through those different corners. They're very fast sweeping and loaded corners as well where you need all the traction and stability that you can get. So the Red Bull chassis working, I think, a bit better at this particular track. Um, well, it shouldn't be anywhere near like that, but, you know, every team's got the same conditions and they've got to deal with it. So uh, that's how qualifying paid out in terms of the top three uh, as well. The Ferraris were looking good up there as well. Uh, very impressive result from, from them and uh, trying to look into the mix as well with McLaren. Uh, Danny Ricciardo did put it on pole for a short time, uh, of course, however, kind of fielded down uh, a little bit. McLaren not as strong at this track as they were in Monza, but as we've come to say, possibly the McLaren's performance, a little bit track specific, um, people have been saying, and, and it could argue that that's the case um, since since Monza. But, you know, they've been doing very well uh, just to keep up there in sort of the, the best of the rest and pick up those really valuable points. And having a great season, if you think back to the last couple of seasons, it's, it's all they could ask for, really. And um, Danny Ricciardo getting his wish to drive Dale Enhart's Jr.'s uh, NASCAR um around the Circuit of Americas um, as a little bet that he had with his team principal and his team manager, uh, uh, Zach Brown. And just so, so wholesome to see that big beaming smile, uh, literally, as he was as he was going around. Uh, incredible to, to see that. And um, probably a, a moment that Daniel Ricciardo won't forget, driving your hero's cars. And of course, the reason why he carries the number three is because Dale Enhart Jr., carry the number three as well. So really cool to hear about that. Right, my predictions. Uh, we don't care about Chris's this week because he's not here. Um, but he didn't give me any either. So I'm just going to make them up for him. And he's going to have to go with mine. I predict that I, um, as a British fan, I do hate to say this, but I do think that Lewis Hamilton is going to end up in second. And we're going to have Max Verstappen clinching the win this weekend. Red Bull just seemed to have that slight edge at the moment. They turned it around from practice. I mean, we had the Mercedes were almost a second ahead of Red Bull in those first practice sessions, but the tides really seemed to have turned. Red Bull team really worked hard to iron out those early gremlins they had in the weekend and judged off of the qualifying performance. I really think Max Verstappen can take it and he was kind of riled a little bit in the practice session where Lewis Hamilton and uh, and Verstappen went toe-to-toe up into turn one and Hamilton kind of ruined the start of his lap and uh, annoyed Verstappen a little bit. However, he's put it past him again. A lot more maturity, as I mentioned before, we're seeing for Max Verstappen this season. Third place for me, it's really hard to see how this could play out. Of course, between Bottas and Perez, but Perez is really on it this weekend and I'm going to predict Sergio Perez to be third again this weekend. Um, I hope you agree with my predictions, although as we've seen in previous races, anything can happen and anything will happen in Formula 1 because it's Formula 1 and that's what happens. Someone could crash out first turn and the whole race could change its course. The weather could play a part. I think we're on for a pretty dry race. However... Anything can happen, as we know. All right, well, that's been it for this week's episode of Around the Outside with just myself, Jake Peach. I hope you've enjoyed my dulcet tones 
over the last 30 minutes or so. We'll be back next week here on Around the Outside to look back at the race around Austin and look ahead excitedly to the next Grand Prix in Mexico. If Sergio Perez can pull off a remarkable result this weekend, he'll be going into the Mexican Grand Prix with a lot of momentum and a lot of passion from his home country to carry him through. Um, but for now, it's been this episode of Round the Outside with myself, Jake Peach. Thanks so much for listening and uh, we'll see you next week here on the podcast. Take care.